0: Well, this morning I'd like to take you to the book of Acts and to Acts chapter 16, and we're going to read together about this account that I mentioned where the gospel comes to the city of Philippi. Lydia's heart has already been opened to receive the message. The slave girl, she's had the demon exercised from her, and her owners are not too happy with that state of affairs, and so... Paul and Silas have been seized, brought before the magistrates, and they end up in the Philippian jail. And we're going to read together what happens, picking up at verse 25. So that's Acts chapter 16, beginning to read at the 25th verse, and this is God's word to us. About midnight... Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were open, and everyone's bonds unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in the house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them, and he rejoiced, along with his entire household, that he had believed in God. Amen. We thank God for this reading from his word. Let's pray together. Gracious Father in heaven, we turn our minds back to that Sabbath day in Philippi, when the woman came aside in order to pray and to hear your word. And we recall how you were at work, opening Lydia's heart so that she paid attention to what was said. Father, as we gather together today, once again to pray and to hear your word, we ask that that very same miracle would be repeated. Lord, amongst us this morning, come and open our hearts and make them receptive to all that is contained within your living word. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. We'll travel with me back to Philippi, where we've read these verses together, because there we heard the story about how, without waiting for any formal judicial process, the magistrates in the city have Paul and Silas stripped and beaten with rods, Luke, the author, tells us that it was a severe beating with many blows. And in all of this, there has been a complete lack of any due process. And before the end of the chapter, that is gonna come back to haunt the authorities in the city. We know from the rest of the New Testament that this was one of at least three different occasions in which the Apostle Paul was beaten in this way. And if you even try to imagine it, we must conclude that the pain of the whole thing must have been absolutely excruciating. The actual crime that brought them into this place was that Paul and Silas had cast an evil spirit out from a slave girl. And the owners of that slave girl who used to profit from her powers of divination were so upset by it that they had Paul and Silas seized on the basis of false accusations. And if this wasn't bad enough, it was all followed up with still more punishment. Paul and Silas are thrown into prison. And as far as we know, this would have been the Apostle Paul's first ever time in a Roman jail, and it would not be his last. The magistrates in the city had charged the jailer to guard them securely. And as a result of that, the missionaries are put in the innermost cell. And there, they don't receive any basic medical care. Their wounds are not washed or dressed. Instead, their feet are fastened into the stalks. And that meant that their suffering would only continue. And given the state that they were in, all of this must have been horrific. And it would only get worse. Apparently, the worst thing about the stocks as a form of punishment was the stabbing cramps, which after a few hours would come to those limbs which were immobilised. They would suddenly contract in that wooden frame, and the pain would only get worse. If you think about it, it must have looked like the hour of absolute darkness. Here are these men, beaten within an inch of their lives. They're now in the deepest dungeon, and they are there simply because of their testimony to Jesus Christ. Those feet which ought to have been going out, proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ around the world, if we were to take the language of the past few years, we could say those feet find themselves locked down, imprisoned in Philippi. And yet here is the truly amazing thing. At midnight, the sound which is heard rising from the blackness and the steel air of that innermost cell is not the sound of weeping, or cursing, or bitterness, or complaint. It's incredible, isn't it? The sound that's heard is one of prayer and song. In this dark place, God has given to Paul and Silas a song in the night. And I love the fact that this is no whimper. It's not as if the missionaries are there and they're imprisoned and they're whispering these things almost quietly under their breath. They speak these things out with boldness and confidence and the other prisoners get to listen in. And the great thing about that means that their witness does not go unheard the powers of darkness, they might try to contain them, but they simply cannot. The apostolic work continues, even there in the Philippian jail, because sinners are getting to hear the good news that God has entrusted to the church. As one old 17th century English poet put it, stone walls do not a prison make nor iron bars a cage their bodies might be locked up but at this moment their souls are wonderfully free and isn't it the complete opposite of what we would expect to find in circumstances like that they've been beaten they're shackled they're at the bottom of this cold, damp, disease-ridden dungeon, and yet there is joy. Joy because for these men, their suffering has confirmed to them that they really are followers of Jesus Christ. They have been considered worthy to suffer for his name. And then suddenly, seemingly out of nowhere, there is an earthquake And the earthquake comes and it shakes the very foundations of the prison. Earthquakes were not that unusual in this part of Macedonia. But the time and the precise place shows this is divine intervention. God is the one who has sent this earthquake. And as a result of the tremor, the locked doors, they're thrown open and everyone's chains are released. It's a great act of divine providence. And yet, as wonderful as that was, the risen and ascended Jesus Christ's work that night was not yet complete. Well, when the jailer wakes up, when he sees what's happened, the fact that the doors are open, he is sure that everyone's gone and he figures that he is as good as a dead man. He thinks to himself, any prisoner, given the opportunity to flee, they are gonna take it. And so the jailer prepares to kill himself. For him, it seemed like the only thing that seemed to make sense at that moment for a Roman jailer to lose prisoners that he had been told to guard carefully. That was a matter of great shame. The penalty that he was likely to suffer was death. And so he thinks to himself, in the heat and intensity of this moment, that somehow or other, he might, through that action, regain some sense of honor in all of this. He draws his sword and he is ready to do the deed. But the Apostle Paul has other ideas. With a loud shout, he calls out into the darkness, do yourself no harm. We're all still here, no one's gone. Do you see the incredible way in which God's grace can change lives? This jailer had done real harm, actual, physical, bodily harm to Paul and Silas. And yet with the way that the gospel turns lives around, Paul's able to cry out to him and say, do yourself no harm. We're all still here. Well, the jailer calls for lights. He rushes in. He must have quickly done some sort of tally and head count. Everyone was still there. His life was gonna be spared. But notice this. At that point, he does not rejoice that somehow or other that evening, he has had a lucky escape nor does he rush to secure the prisoners in case some of them have second thoughts and change their mind about staying here. No. In fact, at this particular moment, his fears do not dissipate. Verse 29, trembling, he falls down at the feet of Paul and Silas. You see, this earthquake has come and it has awakened him from something more than mere physical sleep. The earthquake has come and it's actually shaken him to the point where it has aroused a greater, more profound fear within him. Because the earthquake and what's happened has portrayed to him in the most graphic of ways that all the securities that we think we hold on to tightly in this world, they can, in just one moment, be completely shaken away from us. It can happen in our lives like that. We can be shaken out of a spiritual sleep where we're going through life unaware of our destiny, It's what happens to the jailer, and now he passes through one crisis only to see another far greater catastrophe open up in front of him. Because here is a man who seconds beforehand had been about to enter into eternity. He was very literally one step away from meeting his judge, and he had no savior. And he sensed within him that when that happened, he would be called to give an account. He realized that he would stand before a holy judge, not like those judges in Philippi who could be easily manipulated, but one whose every decision was right. And he realised that if he had no saviour, well then he would be called to give an account and he would be found wanting and he realised that he would be doomed. He would face a judge who would cast him into an even deeper dungeon over which than the one which he presided over there in Philippi. A place of outer darkness somewhere from which no sound of prayer or praise would ever rise. Instead, the only sound which would come from it would be that of weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. The jailer was filled with fear, the fear of the living God. And so he falls down before Paul and Silas with that question that we know so well, What must I do to be saved? Like everyone else in the city, he knew that Paul and Silas were there on religious charges. Remember, they had exorcised the demon from the slave girl. She had been going through the streets of the city, crying out to everyone, these men have come to Philippi in order to announce the way of salvation. And so he falls down before them and he says, what must I do to be saved? He knew these men were different. The jailer had never experienced anything like it in his life before. Paul and Silas owed him nothing at all, and yet they had sacrificed their very freedom so that he would live. When the doors go open, prisoners run. But not so these men. They stayed, and they stayed precisely so that he could be saved. I wonder if any of you know the experience that we've been talking about in the life of the Philippine jailer, because God is still doing exactly this same sort of work today. Very often, he comes to lives and he shakes our lives. He shakes our lives in order to awaken us from spiritual slumber. Many people here, I'm sure, will know the experience of hard circumstances coming and presenting to you in the clearest of ways that reality that you can lose everything that you valued in this life in just a moment. And often the associated feeling and thought that goes with that that if it's possible to lose everything in this life, it's also possible to enter into the life to come and there lose your very soul. This temporal deliverance for us and for him can lead us to verbalize that deeper question, what must I do to be saved? Well, the great thing here, is that Paul and Silas knew the answer to that question with absolute clarity. They didn't ask him to bathe their wounds and feed and clothe them, and then they'd talk about it. Paul, first of all, didn't demand an apology for the disgraceful way that he had been treated earlier that day. Nor did he tell the jailer that he needed to be baptised, even though before the evening was out, the jailer and his family would be baptised. What must I do to be saved? Well, the answer was so clear. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Paul simply proclaimed Jesus to the man. He offered the jailer the gospel. In verse 32, they speak further about these things. And as a result, the jailer is brought to saving faith in a living Lord. We might say that night, it was the jailer who was set free and his whole family got to hear the good news. And so when we go to verse 33, it's still night, but spiritually a whole new day has dawned. Paul and Silas are brought into the house. The jailer fetches water to wash their wounds. This hardened jailer, this tough old man, he has been changed. To begin with, he had been hard and callous. He showed absolutely no concern for them at all. And now he's there, tending their wounds. And they reciprocate by baptising the man and his family. Just a few little details as we draw things to a close. I'd like you to see, first of all, something that keeps cropping up in the New Testament, especially in the writings of Luke, whether it be his second volume, the Acts of the Apostles, or his first volume, the Gospel, that bears his name. And it's this. Luke, especially, keeps bringing together the preaching of God's Word and the administration of the sacraments. Here, whether it's with Lydia, whether it's with the jailer in his family, the gospel word is proclaimed, and that's followed up by what we would call the administration of sacraments, baptism. Same thing happens with the Lord's Supper in both Luke and Acts, the preaching and proclamation of God's word, it's associated with the Lord's Supper. And it's Luke's way of really bringing home to us this important reality about how God knows us through and through. He's fully aware of what we need to keep running the race, to persevere in the Christian life. And he knows that what we hear with our ears needs to be confirmed to us by what we can see with our eyes and even with what we can taste with our mouths. Luke brings together those two things that are so important for us, word and sacrament. Next final thought. It's just to see that the gospel brings about fellowship. It's what I was trying to say to the children when we were talking about the all sorts, it brings all sorts of different people together. Wealthy and successful Lydia, this poor slave girl, the Philippian jailer, probably a retired Roman soldier, and the Apostle Paul, someone who previously had been persecuting the church. The gospel brings people together. Just think of Paul and the jailer. Earlier in the day, they had been completely at odds with one another. They had nothing in common. And yet when the gospel comes into that situation, it brings two really different people together in their home, the gospel brings about fellowship. It did it in Philippi, and it should be doing exactly the same thing here amongst us. And last thing, verse 34. The result of this is that there is great joy. The family enters into the covenant and joy fills the whole house. And so no matter how dark it is outside, Inside, the light of joy was shining. And so I don't think it's by any mistake that when Paul writes a letter to the church in this city of Philippi, when he writes to the Philippians, remember those words he says to them, rejoice in the Lord, and I say it again, rejoice. I love to think to myself, was the jailer present? in the congregation at Philippi on the day when Paul's letter came and was read out to them? Would he have been there to hear those words, rejoice in the Lord, and I say it again, rejoice? Because if he had been, I'm absolutely sure that the jailer would have been there as it were in the pew, nodding his head saying, yes, that's exactly what happened on the night when Paul ended up in my jail. It was the hour of darkness, and yet when the gospel came into that situation, there was great and profound joy. The gospel saves, it brings people together, and it produces great joy. May it be so amongst us. Amen.